Hello and welcome to the Active Growth Podcast, episode 35. Today we are talking about opportunities, trends and problems. More specifically, we're talking about advertising space and a clear trend that is happening in a lot of online marketing and especially in creative areas where there are a lot of sponsorships, there are influencers, that's kind of become a thing to be a social media influencer, which really means that you get paid by sponsors to post about their stuff. And that really means that your brand and what you do becomes advertising space. That becomes the purpose of what you do is to create advertising space to get paid by sponsors. This is the most obvious example, but a similar trend of basically shifting businesses towards providing advertising space has been happening in many areas of online business. And especially if you're new to this game, this might look like a good opportunity, right? It might look like a great thing to do, and it might look like a desirable thing to have, to have sponsorships, to have enough traffic and a large enough audience to make money this way. It looks great, but there are some problems with this. There are problems with this that I want to talk about because I think this is the kind of thing that generally nobody talks about, even though it's very important. There are some problems with this for you directly, immediately, as a creator and entrepreneur. And there are also problems with this in the bigger picture for the long term and what this means for online business in general. So keep listening to find out why as a content creator and entrepreneur, you may have been lured into a trap, into something that at first glance looks like it's great and looks like it's good for you, but that actually turns out to be a trap. So this is what we'll cover in today's episode. We can really boil it down to the question, are you creating value or just advertising space? And the answer is not as simple as you might think. As usual, we have put together show notes and links to everything related to this episode and you can go find them at activegrowth.com forward slash 35. So go to activegrowth.com forward slash 35, get all the links and resources and also to join the conversation about today's topic. Now we'll get started by answering some of the questions that have been sent in and then we'll get into our main topic on advertising space. I'm Shane Milach. And I'm Hanna Vrabak. And let's start by answering some of the questions that have been sent in. We'll start with some voice messages. So let's listen to the first one. I'm currently using your Thrive themes and I'm looking to build an audience. I know one quick way to do this is through a contest, but I haven't seen any Thrive theme that actually does this, but I did run across your other site, Active Growth, which is where I'm at now and you don't currently do it either. Is there plans in the future for you to make a contest or giveaway kind of a theme or a platform or something you can integrate with something that would make a good um, compliant, US compliant or you know, compliant everywhere in the world um, giveaway or contest? All right, this question was sent in by Dwight Norris. Thank you for your question. Uh, well, that's interesting. We have, we have considered this, we've talked about this uh, in terms of, you know, what are useful marketing tools, what are things for marketers that we can do with software and contests have come up. The thing is, we have also experimented with contests ourselves and they have not worked well for us. So we, we've done this a couple of times and I think it's like in theory, uh, you imagine that, yeah, okay, I'm going to do a contest. People are going to spread the word. It's kind of something I can do deliberately to get the word out using some kind of contest app or something. And sometimes that's how it works. But we have found that in practice, it's actually quite difficult to make this work. Uh, it's actually quite difficult to, to put together a contest that will combine being a, an actual traffic generator where you know you actually get more traffic you actually get something like a viral effect and you don't just it's not just kind of a, a thing that mostly your existing audience benefits from and also a contest that is somehow useful that brings in you know qualified traffic and and gets engagement and so on we have not figured out how to do that and um that's one of the reasons why we haven't uh we aren't planning to do a contest app or anything at the moment, 
Because unless we can find a way to reliably do this, it's not something that we can tell our customers, you know, go ahead and do this to generate traffic either. The next message was sent in by Hubert, and this is in response to, first of all, our episodes talking about why you should record yourself on video, and also our episode on deliberate practice. And links to both of those will be in the show notes. So here's Hubert's message. So I just wanted to report to you that after watching the last episode on recording yourself on a video, I started doing this again after, after a pretty long break. I haven't been recording videos of myself for about a year. Thanks to you, I started doing this. And more than that, I decided to record at least one video every day. So uh, some of the videos I publish, some of the videos I just uh, use for, for feedback. And now, uh, today, I just finished uh, listening your podcast on deliberate practice. And that's really great. That's a brilliant idea. And then when I went to the bottom of your post, uh, where you place the call to action and you say, okay, now choose the skill and go and do it. I was thinking that um, would be really great if you could guys uh, maybe create some kind of uh, either a Facebook group or some place where me and other people who actually do apply the stuff you teach could hang out, could give each other feedback and could, uh, I don't know, group together to actually apply the stuff. And I think that would be quite easy. Maybe there wouldn't re- it wouldn't require much work on your part. Uh, I'm sure there are other people like me that, for example, would love to improve the video skills and uh, I don't know if there would be like a, a platform or something place where we could all hang out and I don't know, maybe I could find two, three, four, five other people, create just a small group and then we could post uh, videos every day and then give each other feedback. Uh, we could in this within this small group discuss which sub-skills we could improve. Each of us could brainstorm the ideas like which skills would be the the most important, I don't know, body language, eye contact with the camera, uh, using the tonality of the voice. I mean, just um, on top of my head. But anyway, would be great if you could either point to the place where I could hang out with the, with the people uh, who wants to uh, apply the same thing, or maybe you could uh, create some kind of the group or subgroup where we could all hang out and... Uh, give each other feedback and basically grow together okay so Hannah, what are your thoughts on this because uh, i do have thoughts on this but i I kind of suspect that maybe your reply to this will kind of be more constructive than mine (laughs) um my first reply on this is, is i think it's a very um innate human feeling to to want to group and and to to like see other people go through the same thing and using it as like a motivational tool and um yeah this hopes that people will like give feedback and help other people out uh unfortunately like from my experience what i've seen with anything from like masterminds facebook groups uh any community based type of thing it's it's actually really hard to to have people engaged so just giving that type of of space is, is most of the time not enough so like if we would open a facebook group like an active growth facebook group it would probably not be very helpful uh, for people, even if we do like, oh, a video feedback type of group. It's like, yeah, chances that people will actually interact with other people and take the time to watch other people's videos and give constructive feedback. It's it's, it's rather small. So um, I, I do very much like the idea. And I know that often uh, for myself, I'm also like looking for that type of groups. But I found that if it's not in a very tight uh, type of environment where people actually often 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 pay to to get this type of community so that there's type of engagement also to actually doing it um it, it often doesn't work out so that's that would be like my thoughts on this yeah unfortunately i i agree that's my experience as well to give you an example of this paul who is the co-founder of thrive themes he actually started such a group uh, not too long ago, where he was like, okay, let's do it one video a week and give each other feedback and stuff. And I think the group quickly grew to, I mean, this was a small thing, right? But but still, it grew to, let's say, about 10 people doing it. 
But then a few weeks later, it was like four people left. And another few weeks later, there's no one else left, right? And I have seen this dynamic happen a lot. So I agree that uh, it would, this would be super cool. But my expectation is that if I would start a group and say, hey, here's the deliberate practice for entrepreneurs group. And, you know, if I let's say if I drummed up some advertising for it, maybe we get like a thousand people joining and then two weeks later, there's only like 10 people active and two months later, there's just no one there. Right. <laughs> and so um, I don't know how to hack this. I don't know how to make communities happen. We, you know, if you've been around long enough, you know that at one point we launched Impact Insider, which was the whole idea was we wanted to create a thing. We wanted to create a platform that is specifically about this kind of interaction, specifically about not just hanging out in a forum and, and talking, but actually, you know, actively using um, kind of, you know, the, the benefits you can get from, from interacting with other entrepreneurs who are also trying to build their skills and so on. We, we really tried to put everything in place to motivate a real exchange there that people wouldn't just sign up and be like, well, we want to receive content, but that it would be a community and it totally failed. Um, and maybe we can dissect that in some more detail, but yeah, my, my reply here is as well that I, I just don't know how to make that happen. I agree. It would be cool, but I can't do that. Yeah. The thing that I've seen, especially the, I think Facebook groups now are all the rage, right? And the only Facebook groups that are actually valuable are Facebook groups that are very, very closely monitored. So it's like somebody is actually, it's their full-time job to be in there, to engage with people, to make sure that questions get answered, to, to tag the right people for the questions, to to actually be the coach in that group, right? Because um, yeah, most of the time, a lot of people ask questions, um, but not a lot of people answer them <laughs> or take the time to answer them. And I feel like, especially with, with video feedback, imagine having this group with whatever, 100, 150 entrepreneurs and all of them like post videos and you have to spend five minutes and actually think like looking at the video and then thinking about constructive feedback and, and something that the other one could do. Like that's a lot of engagement. So what I would say to Hubert is, is I, I I still think it's 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 a cool idea, but maybe he can find one friend with whom to do it so that they basically like team up, they couple up uh, and they keep each other accountable. Because for me, that's the only thing um, that this actually worked, where it's like you're, you're two people, you really want to uh, go for this. It doesn't cost you too much time investment to to listen to four other people speaking before you can actually like ask your question and that type of stuff and so i would i would team up i would get a, a video buddy and either um he just gives you video feedback and then you do on 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 his or her video or uh, maybe it's even another skill that the other one wants to improve and both are just like working on the skill and getting feedback for each other and this is really interesting yeah because i think if you if you partner up like that you can't hide in the anonymity of the group, I think there's like the difference between signing up for a fitness class where there's dozens of people or having a gym body where like, okay, we go work out together every Monday, Wednesday and Friday or whatever. Because in the gym class, it's much easier to be like, well, you know, if I don't show up, the class is going to happen anyway. It's no problem <laughs> for anyone. But if you if you have your friend who's waiting for you in the lobby of the gym, that's something you can't as easily escape. So it's easier to keep yourself accountable in a smaller group like that. All right. And then one more question that was sent on Twitter by Eminence at Get Eminence asks, Hi, big fan of the podcasts. Do you think you guys will ever do an episode about idea validation? I'd love to hear the process you followed when starting Thrive Themes, how you decided it was viable to pursue Thrive Architect and so on. We have already done episodes on idea validation you can check out episodes one and two so the first two episodes in the first series of the active growth podcast uh, go check those out those include our approach to idea validation now the way this is framed in those episodes is that it is for you know starting from scratch uh, how to basically find your business idea and validate your business idea and get your first customers all at once and that's, that's kind of how we frame that. And that's what we teach there. But fundamentally, this basically stays the same at scale. So we talk, for example, about the importance of talking to people one-on-one, -on -one, interviewing people uh, to validate your idea. And this is something that we have continued to do. 
So every once in a while, we will uh, you know, send out surveys and one of the questions will be, can we get in touch with you? And we will get on like Skype calls with people to ask them about how they use, you know, for Thrive Teams, for example, to ask them about how they use our product or what they need and what they want and so on. So uh, even though, yeah, in some ways, uh, maybe there are some other processes that are used at scale or on a later stage of a business, but the fundamentals of what you learn in episodes one and two of the Active Growth Podcast are how we still do idea validation and how we still do a lot of um, this kind of thing. And at this point, I also want to mention that the, you know, if you're, if you've joined listening, the active growth podcast recently, I recommend that you go back and listen to the first two series. This content is pretty much evergreen. Uh, this is not, you know, we're not a news podcast, right? This doesn't go out of date. Um, and so if you're looking for like a strategy, a clear approach to how do I get started? How do I get a business off the ground? Definitely listen to those early episodes. You can get in touch with us and send us your messages and questions by either going to the show notes of any given episode. And at the bottom of the show notes, there's always a little button that you can tap or click to simply record your voice and send us voice messages like the ones you heard. Or you can tweet us a question at ActiGrow on Twitter. That's A-C-T-I-G-R-O-W at ActiGrow. So send us in your questions and your comments and we might feature them on a future episode. With that, let's get into the main topic of today's episode, which is about advertising space and how, as I see it, it has become normal. It has become like a, an almost standard business model to basically create an audience and then you know, sell advertising space. It's like, this is the influencer model, right? I'm an influencer, I've got an audience, and now I get sponsorships. And I've seen this, I've seen this evolve over time to a degree where now I feel compelled to comment. And that's why we're doing this episode. This is a bit of a, this is one of those episodes, by the way, like we did on the Patreon era. This is kind of a, I don't know, acti grow philosophy hour or something right where we're <laughs> kind of looking at a trend and commenting on what's going on more than giving you specific strategies here's what to do next right but I, I do think it's important to have this perspective so regarding advertising space let's let's take a, a step back and kind of look at how advertising evolved let me just give you a very rough uh, kind of breakdown of the history of advertising because at one point early on uh, you know, as online commerce started taking off, there was a real advertising boom. And Google AdWords and Google AdSense had a lot to do with that. Because one of the things that uh, worked really well for a while was to create a website, create some content, and put ads on your website. This became especially powerful with uh, the introduction of AdSense, where you could just add these snippets of code to your website and your website would automatically serve ads and optimize ads and so on to be as relevant as possible for your audience. And you didn't have to do any of the management. So you didn't have to go and talk to potential advertisers and, you know, get their banner codes and put them on your site and figure out how many clicks you're getting and so on. You just put this one piece of code on your website and it would automatically basically do all the advertising and optimizing and so on for you and you just get a revenue share. AdSense acted a bit like a marketplace between advertisers and people with advertising space. So it's it's basically just a middleman, right? You have people advertising and you'll have all kinds of people advertising on your website. You can assume that it's it's usually gonna be relevant advertising. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of just this, this intermediary where the interaction between you and potential advertisers in the space is just automated and made very simple. Now, one of the things that we have to keep in mind here is that this is already um, a phase of extreme dominance by Google. Because, first of all, in the search results themselves, of course, you have AdWords, but there is not the marketplace aspect there. So, with with AdWords, and or what I mean is that with AdWords, Google is the only one benefiting, the only one getting paid, right? But then you also have, you know, blogs and news websites and magazines web websites and authority sites and so on that are monetized with AdSense. And there, there are two beneficiaries the, in terms of 
who gets money? Google gets some money and the person providing the advertising space gets some money. But most of these websites are relying on organic traffic from Google search results to get their traffic. So it's basically people search for something on Google, they see a bunch of ads by Google and they don't click on the ads, they click on a result instead and there they see a bunch of ads by Google. So this was already, um, yeah, this was already a crazy situation in terms of how dominant Google has become, right? A similar thing also happened in some other platforms. For example, revenue sharing was added to YouTube so that as a YouTube creator, you could show ads on your videos and around your videos and get a share in revenue generated from them. Again, money going to Google, of course. Um, we also had blogging platforms, some free blogging platforms that used a revenue sharing model. So the idea was, you know, start a blog for free. Um, if it gains a bit of traction, we'll start putting ads on it and you get a revenue share and so on. And in a way, this was very promising for creatives and content creators because the ideal outcome here would be that as a content creator, you can just be a content creator. You can just do your creative work. You create good stuff that people like, you build an audience and all the ad stuff is done for you. So like I mentioned before, right, you don't have to go and reach out to sponsors and say, here are my stats and make deals with them and sign contracts and stuff. It's just, no, you just put some ads on your site. You just put the ad code on your site. If you don't get any traffic, then you just don't get paid, but it's not a problem, right? You're not contractually bound to anything. And presumably if you do good stuff, people come and you make some money. And this was also, there was also kind of a golden era of things like web comics, where that was the idea, right? You make a web comic and if your comic is funny or good or whatever, then a lot of people will come and read it every day and you make some money with ads. And that's how you can be a creative, right? That's how you can be a, a cartoon artist without having to find employment as a cartoon artist, without having to find a publisher as a cartoon artist. It's like this kind of, you know, this kind of blossoming of the opportunity of being a creative and getting paid for it. What's important here, I feel, is that it's one of those things where you don't have to sell. So it feels really safe, right? It feels like, oh, you can just create, uh, focus on your craft, and then the money thing is taken care of by something else, somebody else, and it's not, you don't have to put yourself out there. So I feel like for a lot of people, this is just, like you're saying, it's super simple, but it's also super safe to do. They don't they don't actually have to worry about the whole money aspect and, and coming off as salesy. And so for from a psychological point of view, I think this is one of the biggest advantages of advertising. It's like, it feels as if you're not doing anything quote unquote wrong, right? You're not being a salesy cars man or whatever. It's just like, oh yeah, people click on something that they find interesting and I get paid. That's that's fair. That doesn't that doesn't seem like something that's against my ethics, right? Yeah, totally. And also just in terms of what you focus on, you know, even though I'm the first person to tell you that you whatever your business is, you need to get a grip on marketing. You need to understand basics of what makes people buy things and so on. Even though I'm the first person to tell you this, I totally understand the idea that, like I said, you know, maybe you're, I don't know, you're a musician or you're a cartoon artist or whatever. And you're just like, listen, I just want to do my thing. I don't want to become a marketer, right? Yeah. I, I totally understand that. Um, and this is a very attractive idea for most people. Unfortunately, this did not last very long. This kind of, I think some people, you know, did very well during this time, but it didn't last very long because there were some counter trends that started rising. First of all, banner blindness, which has basically, since the first banner was ever displayed anywhere, um, the banner blindness has, has been in effect, meaning that over time, fewer and fewer people click on advertisement of any kind. And then of course, advertisers try to counteract that by making advertisement look less like advertising, for example, or by just changing the way advertising is displayed and so on. AdSense again was one of those things, right? Where uh, this is kind of novel, all advertising before that, or almost all of it had been images and people started recognizing, oh yeah, an image of this size is an ad, I'm not gonna click on that. And so introducing like these text links that look more like part of the website was was an important step there. 
uh, to counteract that a bit. But then, of course, people get used to that too. And then, of course, also ad blockers because many websites became just unusable, right? You go to a website and it's just flashing banners and text links and overlays everywhere. You just you can't even find the content anymore. And like autoplay videos. Oh, and, God, and, yes. Oh, my God. You open a website and all of a sudden, like, your noise comes out. And you don't even know where. You can't stop it. And, and then you have, like, watch out. You might have a virus on your computer overlay. <laughs> and then, of course, your mom clicks on it. And then you get a virus. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, yeah, that's, that's how you get the virus. And, and also, or how about the Flash games, right? Where in a little box, it would load a game where, you, I don't know, you suddenly you're controlling the goalkeeper and you have to prevent, you know, <laughs> you have to prevent the guy kicking the ball from scoring goals or something. They, they like try to force you to interact with the thing. Feels like you lost a lot of time there trying to save goals, Shane. Uh, no, actually, I think I, I think I successfully avoided the the, the mini games. <laughs> it's just, it's just, yeah, it's just crazy how, right? You, you're trying to read an article about, I don't know, whatever, some, some tech review in my case often. And there's all this crap going on. So yeah, so that led to the rise of ad blockers, um, which is now has gone so far that there's well some kind of informal regulation about what you can and can't do with ads, and there's to some degree built-in ad blocking in browsers. And an, an important thing that we also saw was that news media, even large news media with huge audiences, was in big trouble. So we saw that the transition of you know the old school media where people would buy newspapers to the internet, it didn't work out because originally the idea would have been, oh, this is great. All you do, you, you continue doing the same work, right? If you're if you're the New York Times or, or whatever, some newspaper, you continue doing the same work. You do your journalistic work, you create your content, but instead of selling newspapers, you just put it online and you make it accessible for free. And from the, you'll just monetize the traffic with advertising. But as we started seeing very, very clearly, this did not work out. This was simply not a viable model because there was not enough money. Uh, There's not enough um, revenue to be gotten out of this amount of audience. And so this was true even for, or basically what we saw is that there's a certain imbalance where first of all, you needed a really large audience to make a decent amount of money. But also the way this used to work for news media was that the balance was that, you know, if you had a million readers, you could employ a certain number of people in offices and spend a certain amount of time creating content and so on, and it would work out. Whereas on the internet, if you have a million people, you have to fire half your staff and make the other half work twice as fast in order to still break even. And one of the consequences of this is that it turns out that you can't just be a content creator after all, unless you're one of the very, very few lucky ones that are at the very top of the pile, right? If you just happen to have an insanely popular blog or if you're one of the top YouTubers or something like that, if you have an absolutely massive top of the pile audience, then this worked out for you. And I think for some creators and some businesses, this still works out now. But for the vast majority, we're talking about far more than 99% of creators. Turns out that this just wasn't viable. So even if you made amazing web comics every single day and people love them and you have a huge audience, this was not enough to make a living. So in the end, you still have a job and do your creative work and you're still broke. All right. So what happens next is, first of all, technology changed and also the way people monetize it, the way creators monetize changed over time. And this brings us closer to where we are now. So first of all, one of the things that changes retargeting came up and retargeting is interesting. So in case you're not familiar, just a quick summary of retargeting is that you, you chase people around with your ads. So when someone comes to your website, you tag that person and then you can show them your ads on Facebook and on YouTube and on other websites, wherever they go. So if you've ever wondered why you keep seeing the same ads over and over again of the same company that you, you know, where you maybe visited their website two weeks ago, that's why. Now, this is retargeting is very interesting from an advertiser perspective, can be very effective, but it changes the nature of advertising again, because instead of people going to various websites and depending on the keywords and depending on the topic and so on, being shown different ads, 
it's more like the advertising space is being capitalized by uh, people basically it's like your existing audience you're capitalizing advertising space for your already existing audience so it removes more of this marketplace effect right it removes more of this kind of spreading around of different people in different contexts seeing different ads and it's more just a, a venue for dominating right if i dominate my niche i dominate all advertising channels and you see my ads everywhere no matter where you go on the other hand, we have had the rise of things like Patreon and other similar kind of crowdfunding platforms. And we have done a whole episode about this. You can go to activegrowth.com forward slash Patreon. That is not our Patreon page. We don't have one. We had, But it's an episode about Patreon and kind of how that has changed uh, the way money is being made online and where that might go in the future. But there the idea is that people just pay you directly. So again, if we think about our cartoon artist, instead of using ads, he basically says, hey, listen, if you want to keep seeing my cartoons, I need to get paid somehow. So if you love what I do, you know, give me a dollar a month or $5 a month or whatever this is worth to you. And if enough people do that, I can keep doing this. And so this has happened much more. But also, like I mentioned at the top, what I've seen a lot is that sponsorships and the way it's called nowadays is influencer marketing, right? Influencer marketing is all about influencer marketing. So nowadays, people are called influencers if they have an audience. And everything is sponsored. It's become a norm. And often these are even combined, right? So you might listen to a podcast where the podcast has a Patreon and they also run sponsored ads. And maybe if you go visit their website, there's some ads on the website, right? It's like a combination of everything to try and get money in from all these channels to try and make it work out. Now, an interesting thing about sponsorships, and this is something that if you're not aware of this yet, I think it's very important to know about this as a marketer is the term native advertising. And I think this is a very important dimension to be aware of. If you can think of it like a scale that goes from foreign advertising to native advertising. Foreign advertising is, I'm reading a blog post about, I don't know, let's say a new phone, right? I'm reading a, a review of a new phone. And then the text is interrupted by a large image and it advertises something totally different. It advertises, I don't know, a car, right? And it's just obviously a banner ad and I have to scroll past it to get back to my content. That is foreign advertising. In fact, the, the advertising is like a foreign invader on my, on my attention. It's not about what I'm interested in. It doesn't fit the context. It's just an interruption. On the other end of the spectrum, we have native advertising. An example, a much derided example of native advertising is you go to a news website and you click on an article and it looks and feels like an article, but there's a little line somewhere that says, note, this is sponsored content. So actually, this is not a journalistic news article. This is an ad that I'm reading that has been made to look like a news article. And of course, this has been much derided because it's very deceptive, right? It's like, oh, I thought I was reading news, but actually I just spent 10 minutes reading an ad. You feel a bit cheated when that happens. Now, why this is important is, well, native advertising works much, much better in fact, I would say that the more native an ad is, the better it works, the more effective it is, the more attention it gets, um, the more revenue it can potentially generate. And sponsorships, the way they are often done, are, are an attempt to make advertising more native. And they're also an attempt to get around ad blockers. So if you're watching a YouTube video and you've got an ad blocker running, you will not see the pre-roll and mid-roll ads because the ad blocker takes care of that. But if that video, if that video creator has a sponsorship going, then they make the message, they make the ad part of the video and the ad blocker cannot recognize and skip that. So that makes, that's a workaround for the ad blocking problem. But also in most cases, sponsorships are somehow tied into or you, you know, creators try to tie them into what they're talking about, right? So it's not just, okay, I'm interrupting my message, here's an ad, and then we continue our message. You try to make it more relevant to what you're doing. And this is an important part of, you know, yeah, basically trying to counteract these problems of ad blocking, banner blindness, and so on in making advertising more native. What I'm seeing now when I look around 
is that sponsorships have become a norm and influencer marketing has become a norm. If you listen to podcasts, it seems that everything is sponsored by Squarespace and Casper mattresses, right? And MeUndies. And, and MeUndies, <laughs> how can we forget? So we're still waiting, right? We're still waiting for the day. <laughs> we still haven't been contacted by yeah. MeUndies. Strangely enough. Wanted to. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, it's, it's strange, but I feel like I would be the perfect person to advertise underwear. <laughs> <laughs> not not going to comment on that one. <laughs> Anyway, so, um, but yeah, you've probably noticed that, right? There's, there's some sponsors, some companies that are really like dominating various spaces. Um, and it's become such a norm. It's just become such a norm to listen to a podcast and hear about Casper mattresses first or in between or whatever. And there's a whole generation of so-called influencers who are sometimes actually creating advertising instead of content. Like it, this used to be called selling out. It used to be that an artist would, you know, it would be a reputation problem if an artist became famous and then sold out. Now it's more like you made it and it's kind of celebrated in the culture. And there are creators who essentially go, hey, you know, I'm making a video today that is sponsored by whatever. And this whole video is basically an ad. Like they asked me to make an ad for them. How cool is that? I get paid to do this. And it's like, it's like celebrated that you get to do an ad, right? And I think that there's a whole generation of people who, for whom this is like the norm and, and people who strive for this. It's like, that's the goal. If I have enough Instagram followers, I will get to the point where every time I post something, I just have, you know, I have a protein shake in my hand while I take my selfie and I get paid. Amazing, right? I think that there are a few problems with this. <laughs> just a few. <laughs> just a few. <laughs> yeah, just a few. One problem is that somehow this is not sustainable and it's not scalable. Everything cannot be advertising space. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of creatives are pursuing this goal of growing a large enough audience to basically turn themselves or turn their platform into advertising space not realizing that there are alternatives. Now, one problem is that there's a lack of value creation here. If everyone's just trying to build an audience in order to then advertise and get paid and have sponsors, there's a lack of real world value creation. So we can't all just advertise the whatever the top 10 richest companies in the world, right? because that's all that's gonna be left eventually, right? And we can't all just be advertising space. There has to be, and I'm talking about, let's say, the larger economic picture here, right? If too many people and too many companies are pursuing the goal of building a large enough audience to be able to sell advertising space, this just doesn't work out. Like someone has to create actual value. Someone has to create value and pay people so that there is an economy of people who can click on ads and buy things. Otherwise, this whole thing breaks down. And, and also, personally, I am troubled by the monopolization of the economy. I am troubled by this trend of basically by the fact that it's Casper mattresses everywhere. It, I would rather I would rather live in a world where there are several mattress producers who are competitive but it seems like we live in a world with the only mattress manufacturer who can afford to run ads everywhere is the one at the top and that's something that i'm a bit troubled by i've talked previously about the idea of, of a value-based business and this kind of thing sponsorships advertising places is not a value-based business you are not giving something of value directly in return for people's money you're doing it through intermediary steps and you're basically your goal essentially becomes that people go away from what you do and spend money somewhere else so that you can get some kickback from that money. And I don't think that that's the basis of a very healthy economy. Another thing that I think is important here is that I think most people don't realize how many people get stuck in that audience building phase. We only see the people at the top. We only see the, the creators for whom this works out. We see the people who have huge audiences and get paid like crazy. And that, of course, you know, it's very attractive. The idea that, oh, all you did was, you know, you wore this shirt by some 
manufacturer who sponsored you and you posted on Instagram and you got paid like tens of thousands of dollars, that's awesome. <laughs> I want some of that, right? But we don't see the thousands upon thousands of creators who are stuck in the lower rungs of trying to build an audience and not getting anywhere and who are never going to get paid. And then finally, there's a huge problem with creative control. And this has always been the case with advertising. There's always a conflict if you have sponsorships and advertising, there's always this clamp down effect of the advertiser wants to have control of your message, wants to make sure that you don't say anything that's too out there, don't say anything that's too edgy, wants to make sure that you're safe, middle of the road, appeal to everyone, don't do anything offensive because the advertiser doesn't want to be associated with you know something horrible you did basically. And that there's always a conflict. There is always, always a conflict. No matter how much you, you know, say, oh, I'm unbiased or whatever. No, there's a conflict. If you have, especially if it's, you know, you have one huge sponsor who basically pays all of your bills, right? You have the one sponsor. Are you ever going to say something bad about them? No. I mean, probably not, right? There's a huge conflict of interest. And again, if that becomes the norm, if, if most of the voices we hear the you know the, the people we follow the media we follow and so on if they all have these strings attached to them and those strings at the other end are attached to the same few gigantic corporations who can you know who can afford to dominate all the ad space that creates a real problem and that's one of the reasons why you know that's one of the things where i'm like i hope this trend reverses in some way because the the path this is headed does not look like a good direction to me. Actually, I think it will. And the reason I'm saying that is because exactly all the problems that you pointed out. So first of all, there are a lot of people who try this, but will never actually uh, get to a level where it's sustainable and where they, they will be able to pay the bills. So what do they do? They accept to just get free stuff. So for example, um, you have like this, let's say mini influencers or whatever, and, and they are okay with just getting the t-shirt for free, not even being paid, but just getting the t-shirt for free and advertising with that t-shirt. And, and they are happy because they feel as if they are becoming an influencer and if they, are, they, they start to make it. So then as a brand, what happens? It's like, oh, I can ha just send out a thousand t-shirts to a thousand people and not even pay one dollar to anybody. And I get this, this, this return on investment, right? Because I have like a thousand people who are actually posting Instagram pictures with my stuff. Um, whereas rather than having, having to pay them. So if people start to accept free stuff as a way for their actually be paid for their creative work, uh, whether it's videos or whether it's photos or, or, or anything else that you create, um, it diminishes this, this whole, um, viability in, in my opinion, uh, about the influencer marketing. So that's definitely something that, that I've seen or, or even just brands like offering ridiculously low things, um, low money for a lot of effort from the creator side, because they know that if that one doesn't want to do it, they can go, just go on to the next one. And that if somebody makes a hundred bucks from their, from their website today, and you offer them 500 bucks, like that's a lot of money for them. And even though they actually have to work for, I don't know, three weeks on, on, on creating that new video or whatever, they, they will do it because they are in, in this idea of getting that money. So in my opinion, and, and I've seen this, like I've seen this before, um, for example, my, my, like my little brother, he's a BMXer and, and he gets free stuff. He's sponsored, but the only thing that he gets is free stuff. And it's like, well, in the end of the, of, of, the road, he still has to pay his rent. <laughs> so he still needs a day job, even though he's like sponsored by these BMX brands. And I think that's where influencer marketing will will go down and, and actually become like less and less a viable option for content creators as making it their main gig, let's say. That's a very interesting point. Yeah. So there might be an erosion there, right? Where it kind of uh, the, the market kind of eats itself because of course, as an advertiser, you always try to get away with spending less. And yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, and I wonder how this prediction is going to work out. I, I think overall, that would probably be better. It wouldn't be better for creators, but 
yeah, it'd be better if it doesn't just uh, run into this huge, basically advertising monopoly. But yeah, that, that's a good point. And th this is also, like you mentioned, right? We, we have to realize that basically for every influencer we see who gets paid like crazy, uh, there's there's probably thousands of them who would be lucky to even get free stuff. Now, what to do about all this? My suggestion, of course, as a solution is that as a creator, you should sell your own stuff. You should create something of value. You should create solutions to problems and sell them directly to the customer in some form or another. And that can be, you know, that can be in the form of software, that can be in the form of information products, that can be in the form of coaching or services or whatever. But this direct exchange, this is a way to break free from these problems. It's the direct exchange of, hey, I have something that you need, you've got some money, you pay me, I give you the thing you need, right? It's really, really simple. But it's a way to to break out from many of these problems. Now, you might be thinking, hold on, isn't there something wrong about this? Because if I think about creating and selling my own stuff, in the end, if I look at something like content marketing, isn't that just doing the same thing, but creating advertising space for my own stuff? I mean, I create valuable content to get people to my website. I try to get them to sign up to my mailing list. I send valuable stuff on my mailing list to get them to come back. And what do I do? Well, I, I advertise my own products, right? Isn't that the same thing? I'm just advertising my own stuff. Yes. <laughs> That's why it's called content marketing. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, but so, how is this different? Why, why am I, why am I presenting this as like a better solution? Isn't it just a question of advertising a different thing? Well, I think the X factor here is this native advertising idea, right? If we go back to this idea, foreign advertising the more foreign it is, the more wasteful it is. And in fact, foreign advertising is hugely wasteful. This is one of the problems why you can have a news site that half of the country reads every day and not make enough money to keep it going. Because foreign advertising, people come to your news site to read the news and all this ad stuff, they ignore as hard as they possibly can. And so you have to get like millions and millions of people to, to get some of them to click on an ad to get a little bit of money from that. It's, it's, it's immensely wasteful. Anyone who's ever tried this, anyone who's ever done advertising on a website, sponsored deals or affiliate marketing and then selling your own products knows the vast difference in performance. I remember for me, the first time I did this, I was doing email marketing at the time quite a lot and some content marketing. and. I had started building an audience and I was recommending affiliate products. So as an affiliate, I was telling people, hey, here's a great product, you buy this, you know, making tutorials and so on and so forth. And from that, I had some expectation of how many people in my audience would buy something. The first time I made my own product and sold that, I was absolutely shocked at how much, how much more money that made because Essentially, it's the same thing. I am contacting my audience saying, hey, here's a thing that you can buy that I believe will help you with the thing you're trying to accomplish. Except that this time, the thing that you can buy is something I created. I thought the performance would be about the same, but it was easily 10 times more. It was easily 10 times more effective to sell my own stuff. Even if I had, you know, even if it was the same kind of product, if it simply was, here's someone else's product that I recommend you to buy, massive, massive difference. And this is where the 10,000 or the, the, the 1,000 true fans comes in. The idea of 1,000 true fans, see, 1,000 people looking at ads on your website aren't worth much. In fact, they're worth pretty much nothing. But 1,000 true fans who are your customers and your clients, or maybe about 10,000 true fans who are your patrons, that is a living. That is something you can make a living off. If we take it very simple, you know, if you've listened to some of our episodes, we really like napkin math, where it's just like we don't go super deep into the numbers, but we just take a few numbers and, and very quickly calculate what this would mean. And if we have a look at those thousand people who come to your website and you have an advertisement there, and maybe you get, let's say, three cents for a click, and you get a 1% click-through rate. So 1,000 people, 1% click-through rate, 3 cents for a click. 
that will give you 30 cents. Now, if you replace that advertising space with an advertisement for your own product, and let's imagine this is like a $9 ebook or something. So something really low dollar, we're not saying to replace it with uh, your, your flagship product. Let's start simple with, with a simple product. So a $9 ebook. And let's take the same number. So even though Shane just explained that it's a real difference, your own product with uh, advertisement, but let's, let's just keep it simple, right? Napkin mat. Nine, $9 for an ebook. You would get with a 1% click-through rate, you would get 10 customers to your sales page. And that would probably mean one or two sales, which is just even one sale is like 3000% better than what you would get from advertisements. Yeah, it's it's amazing how that works out, right? And you, you don't even, you really, I mean, it's not very generous napkin math, right? We're really looking at kind of a worst case scenario here for, for selling your own thing. But yeah, you can see how, make, how much of a difference that makes. By the way, there's also a post on active growth, which is 15 or maybe some other number, but let's say 15 reasons why you should sell your own stuff, where I go into details, into more details about how selling your own stuff gives you this extra leverage, like you can do so much more. And just to name one example, not only you know do you make more money from, from the sales you generate of your own product, but if someone clicks on an ad and they go buy something somewhere else and then you get your 30 cents, that's the end of the story for you. There's not much you can do there other than trying to shove more clicks into the top of that funnel. But if you get a couple of people buying your $9 ebook, not only have you already made more money, but you can do more stuff there. For example, you can show an upsell, right? You could say, hey, you bought my $9 ebook, you know, buy my $50 video course. And that's something you can do, right? You have the power to, to add value to your own funnel. And then you can run some A-B tests to improve the performance and so on and so forth. And pretty soon you're just making absolutely bucket loads more money than you could ever make from just providing advertising space. And by now, if you listen to these numbers and, and what we're saying, you might be wondering like, why don't, doesn't everybody do this? And it's one of those things, it's, I, I think we can call it a principle, Shane, where it's like, do the hard stuff. Because of course, it's so much harder to create your own product rather than just to copy paste a little bit of code on your website and to have ads running. But that's a huge advantage because this actually means that if you are willing to do the hard stuff, if you are willing to figure out what your audience wants, to give them what they need, then you will be able to be the one that, that makes that 3000% more than the other one who just decided to put that little bit of code on their website. Absolutely. This is absolutely a principle that I, I, yeah, that we preach a lot and that I absolutely believe in. And I also think that often the, the stuff that is hard is it seems harder than it is, especially compared to how hard the easy stuff actually is, because, you know, you end up, you end up trying to pursue the easy solution, right? Someone, you know, someone tells you, oh, you know, here's the the new simple thing or whatever, let's say podcasts. Oh, podcasts are super trending. All you do is, you know, set up a microphone, record yourself thinking out loud for an hour a week. And, <laughs> and you know, before you know it, you'll, you'll be rich or something like that, right? There's always these trends arising where someone tries to sell you on, here's the easy way to do it. And this is often, the angle is often, like Hannah just said, right? It's like, oh, you don't have, don't worry about the hard stuff. You don't have to create your own product. You don't have to, learn marketing, you don't have to, you know, deal with all this complicated stuff, just do this simple thing. But the reality of that simple thing is usually that it's very complicated. Like once you get into it, with the podcasting example, like, oh, crap, how do I build my audience? How do I get paid? How do I find sponsors? How do I make this work, right? How and then suddenly you realize, oh, my audio sounds terrible. How now you have to get into audio equipment, right? <laughs> all of a sudden, this thing is super complicated. <laughs> and you you've done the same amount of work as you would have done just building your own thing, except you're not getting paid. All right, so those are some more thoughts on what is happening with the online space in terms of how money is being made and how I think you can differentiate yourself. And one of the reasons I like to talk about things like this is that for me personally, it's important to have this kind of perspective. Because what I see a lot is that entrepreneurs are basically just swept up in whatever is happening right now. 
you know, uh, five, six years ago, people were just unquestioningly doing, oh, we're doing niche sites and SEO. Everybody's doing niche sites and SEO. Don't even, don't even ask, right? <laughs> Not seeing the bigger picture at all. And then everybody gets whacked by Google and, and a lot of people just totally lose everything. But then the next train comes along, right? Oh, Facebook pages. Everybody's building Facebook pages, building huge fan groups and so on, trying to monetize that with affiliate links. And before you know it, reach goes close to zero. And again, like you've got people kind of in the wreckage of, of what they built, not knowing what the hell's going on and so on. This cycle repeats again and again and again. And for me personally, I think it's very important to have this kind of perspective to not only see what's right in front of you and not only see the current trend that's happening, but to see it in context and be like, hold on, what's going on here? And this is an example of that, right? Instead of just seeing everything that's going on to say, hold on, there's an underlying principle here, underlying principle of people, audiences, advertising space, what's going on here? And an underlying principle of foreign advertising versus native advertising and understanding what's going on here. This is the kind of thing that can help you make better strategic long-term decisions. In fact, I would go so far to say as that if you are simply swept up in what's happening in the moment and don't have this perspective, you're almost guaranteed to crash and burn and not be able to, to predict that in advance. So this is why I like talking about this kind of stuff. Also, the, the Patreon era podcast is an example of that. Uh, it's a pretty popular episode as well, so you should go listen to that if you haven't yet. That is at activegrowth.com forward slash Patreon. And for me personally, this way of thinking about the world and as an entrepreneur, especially, I think this is one of my key habits. And it's no coincidence that, you know, if, if you've been following me for a long time, you know that at one point I was fairly regularly commenting on and criticizing online marketing trends and internet marketing products. I would always be the guy, you know, there'd be some spectacular launch of a new simple way to make money forever. And I'd be the guy making videos about, here's what's wrong with this, <laughs> right? Here's the problem. Here's how this fits into the greater context. For me, I think that was like my practice. That, that was where I practiced seeing the bigger picture. And it's one of those skills. I think it's one of those hidden skills. It's not obvious that this is something I do. And it's not obvious. Uh, there's no direct connection between this thinking habit I have and the bottom line of my business. But there is a connection. Like the, if I didn't do this, the bottom line of my business would look different. In that way, it is similar to the stuff we've talked about regarding communication skills. Communication skills also, it's not a line item in the accounting, right? We're not sure how exactly this influences the bottom line. All I can tell you is that for sure, if I hadn't developed my communication skills the way I have, my business would look very different and probably worse than it does now. Now, right there, you just opened a whole new kind of worm, Shane. I feel like this is just a completely different episode and, and how how you can actually develop this habit of, of thinking more broadly and, and not just seeing the one thing, not focusing on, on this one specific thing, but seeing the, the broader picture. So maybe that's, that's something that we should elaborate on. Um, Maybe we can ask people, what do they think? Is there something that they would like to hear more about that they would like to learn about? Uh, then for sure, um, let us know in the show notes and maybe we'll do that. Yeah, that's that's good. Also, oops, I didn't mean to do that. But um, but yeah, that's that would be great to leave a comment or a voice message telling us if you want to hear more about this kind of thing. And also in general, let us know if you, know, if you appreciate the kind of active growth philosophy hour type content. Uh, because for sure we we could do more of it. <laughs> it's just that I I like to create content that is like highly practical and implementable, but I also like talking about more conceptual stuff. So let us know what you prefer. And like I said at the top, you can send us questions and comments to at ActiGrow on Twitter, or you can go to the show notes and leave a voice message right there. And that is it for today's episode. Go to activegrowth.com forward slash 35 to get the links and resources for this episode, which includes the link to the post about the reasons why you should create your own product and why you should create a value-based business that I recommend you read if you haven't yet. Also at activegrowth.com forward slash 35, you can leave us a comment or you can send in a message. You can just tap on a button and leave a voice message and we might answer it on the show as you heard at the beginning of today's episode. 
We really love hearing back from you and really love interacting with you like this. So head on over to the show notes and leave us a message or a comment. Now, let me also add that lately we've been doing a lot of these episodes where basically every episode is an island. We pick a topic, we sometimes respond to comments and so on, but we haven't done a series in a while. So if you look at the early series of the podcast, we used to cover topics in more detail over the period over a course of several episodes. Now, this is something we haven't given up on. In fact, we have been working on a new series that's coming pretty soon, which is going to be on the topic of how to generate traffic if you don't have money to spend on that traffic. So that is in the works and coming soon. Stay tuned for that new series. All right, that's it. I'm signing off. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you in the next one.